Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and also syndicated on missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. If you are looking for a speaker or leadership development trainer for your organization or event, please go to my website at integrativeminds.com to learn more about what I offer and then contact me at info at integrativeminds.com to schedule meeting times to see how I can help you. Thank you for joining us today on our radio segment called Teen to Parent Talk, where we interview amazing guests between the ages of 18 and 25 years old. They will be sharing with us their insights, advice, tribulations, hopes, and dreams. And they'll also be giving us some advice on how to handle our teens and what we can do as parents to be better. Today on our show, we're going to be talking about something very serious that's been happening. In the U.S., it's estimated that one in every 200 girls between 13 and 19 years old are cutting. Those who cut comprise of about 70% of teen girls who self-injured. Two of the most alarming facts that I found on the internet about teen cutting is that the number of cases is on the rise. And without treatment, many who begin cutting themselves as teens will actually continue the behavior well into their adult years. Our guest today is pursuing her master's degree in psychology. She is also the program trainer for the Idaho Humane Society's Inmate Dog Alliance Program, which is a program that sends shelter dogs to three state penitentiaries in order to learn obedience skills in preparation for adoption. Well, she hopes to combine her passion for animals and the animal's behavior with her love of people and interest in mental health. She believes that animals can play a significant role in healing the human psyche and help pave the way for self-growth self-acceptance and understanding and in her spare time she enjoys writing hiking and spending time training and playing with her dogs and cats so ladies and gentlemen i'd like to introduce you to janae moore hi janae hi how are you doing i'm doing pretty good how are you good i love that you are helping these dogs and inmates i actually saw a video about this on facebook one time it's actually changed the dog's life and the the inmate's life yes no it's a it's a fantastic program um and i i've been a part of it kind of uh, observing and, and following in the previous trainer's footsteps for the past month or so. And then I just recently took the reins over the program last week. And I'm super excited because we're taking the program in a little bit of a new direction using some softer, more positive reinforcement based methods. And I think it's going to be good for everyone involved. Yeah, the one thing about animals, I think is it really does bring out the humane in people. We know that animals can help heal, they have certified animals for emotional healing. Exactly. You know, I mean, animals love us regardless of what we've done, what we're going through, you know, they're, they're constant in our lives for a lot of us. So um, it's nice to be able to give back 
too, in that sense, and tell dogs. What makes you so passionate about animals and helping people? I think a lot of it comes from my adolescence. Um, I had a, a pretty pretty rough time after we, we moved, and uh, kind of several things happened all at once. And there were times during those years where I wasn't sure that I was, you know, going to make it. I definitely had had my fair share of struggles. And during that time, I had a cat um, in particular who was who was constantly there for me. Uh, you know, I, I remember one time when I was. 15 and I just had the worst day and I came home and he curled up on my chest and just purred and purred and let me cry into his fur. He didn't fix the problems. He didn't take them away, but just the fact that he was, he was there and he was present and he was a solid, consistent force in my life was very healing. And I think I've just, you know, animals have always been that for me and I've watched them be that for other people. And so I want to continue in my career to bring those two together. Animals are very healing. And it's just them being there, like you were saying, just acknowledging that you don't feel good seems to really help. It does. So now today's subject is about self-harming and cutting. And I know from our talk offline that this is something that's very close to you. So can you tell us what happened, what started it for yourself? I started experimenting with cutting when I was 12. Started pretty pretty early on. Um, it was not constant at that point. I felt very much in control of my self-harm. Um, it was sort of experimental. And if I'm honest, it didn't help in the beginning. And there were, you know, driving forces that just kind of, I, I felt like I had zero control over my life. Um, and ultimately, you know, I had control over, over cutting. I started with safety pins of all things. Um, and then as I got older, it was one of those things that faded out for a little bit. Um, I didn't do it for a while. And then I, I had a really big um, event. I had a, a, a loss of a pretty significant relationship in my life at, at 14. Felt very alone and just my world had kind of had kind of crumbled. It was the first time I was experiencing a big loss like that. And for whatever reason, I remembered, hey, you know, I, I had experimented with cutting. It sometimes helped take my mind off things. And it was one of those that I always felt that I had control over the coping mechanism. I always thought, you know, okay, I'm not going to go any deeper than this. I'm, I'm just going to do, you know, I give myself, I'm only going to do three cuts a day. But it, it progressively, progressively got worse and more severe. So it is something that I have, have battled with and occasionally still continue to battle with. And it's, I think that people don't always realize that it's one of those things that it seems counterintuitive because you are picking up an item and inflicting harm on yourself, but it can very easily become very addicting just as much as alcohol or drugs. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how addicting that kind of habit can become very quickly. Let's just take a step back for people who may not understand what cutting and self-harm is. So can you tell us what it is? Self-harm comes in many forms. I think cutting is probably the one we think of most um, when we think of self-harm. Basically, really, it's taking any sharp object um, and inflicting pain on yourself. It doesn't have to bleed um, to be considered self-harm. People can be, it's really about the intention. So if, if you're taking an object and inflicting pain on yourself in some way or another, um, it is it is cutting, it is self-harm. Even picking at scabs, not letting them heal um, intentionally, but the intention of not letting them heal, hitting yourself to the point of causing bruising, basically self-harm is causing injury to yourself. 
you mentioned that you started off more of a, a control. This sounds a little bit like anorexia nervosa too, where they control their food intake because they don't feel like they have control outside. Why do you think other people may be starting this cutting? There are a lot of factors that go into cutting for sure. One of the things that I think is important to point out too is that cutting does release endorphins. It does release adrenaline because your body is responding to the pain that you're causing. Those chemicals often have some pretty feel-good side effects. They calm you down. So they kind of make you feel good, even though you're, you're causing pain to yourself, but your body's throwing out all these hormones to make you feel, feel better. And I think that what happens is there's a little bit of a component of control when everything is, is out of control around you. Cutting and self-harm is something that you have complete control over. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you do have control over how many cuts you're going to do, how deep you're going to go, you know, the wound care that you then apply afterwards. The other thing too is, you know, it, it does cause a little bit of a sense of quiet. So when things are spiraling out of control in your world, there's noise, constant noise in your head and you can't stop it. But when you go and you focus on something like self-harm and occasionally you go into a little bit of shock because you're not designed to be causing these kinds of wounds on yourself. And depending how you respond to seeing the internal structures of your body, seeing blood as you're, you're cutting, it can put you in a little bit of shock. And all of that tends to put you in a complete quiet. Um, and it's kind of like a break from everything. You know that it's not healthy, but... It's the only way you know how to achieve that goal. So what I found on the internet is that about 50% of the people who injure themselves in cutting, they want to get their mind off of a problem. And the other 50%, they want to release tension or stress and relax and be able to relax. So does cutting mean that someone that's a self-harmer is suicidal? No, not necessarily. There are a lot of people who are dealing with suicidal thoughts who are also self-harming. I don't want to say that they're always mutually exclusive, uh, but it is one of those things where a lot of the times the self-harm is a coping mechanism. Even if they're doing significant damage to the point that they're needing to go to the hospital and get stitches, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's an attempt to kill themselves. A lot of the times it's actually an attempt to kind of distract themselves from those thoughts. It's a coping mechanism that helps them make it through another day um, and not give into those suicidal thoughts. Um, And then there are people who aren't suicidal at all who are still struggling to cope and who have just adopted self-harm and cutting as a coping mechanism. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who is self-harming is suicidal. Sometimes they have the the, the two thoughts go uh, together, but not necessarily hand in hand. Um, But sometimes they're also totally independent of each other as well if that makes sense. It does. Because what I found on the internet is that about 50% of the people who self-injured do it to just release tension and stress in order to relax. I wish that they could go meditate instead of cutting themselves. (laughs) Because it does sound so scary, especially as a parent, if I'm seeing my child cutting themselves. As a parent or even someone, maybe a friend who who finds out that you know a loved one is doing this, is there something we can do to prevent it from happening? So the biggest thing is to be there as a, as a support system. It's sort of like when you're sick and let's say you, you go to the doctor and there's, let's say you have 
a cold. There's not necessarily anything that you can give me instantly to cure me of my cold and kind of deal with all these symptoms. There are things that you can do to help me feel better. And then I recover from my cold and I'm no longer experiencing the symptoms. And it's very similar with cutting. So often there's underlying issues that play into it. So there's reasons that people are self-harming. Despite what people say, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative stigma around this idea of self-harm. There's a lot of people who, you know, oh, you're, you're cutting. You just want attention. You know, an attention seeker, you're emo. You're, there's a lot of names that come along with cutting. And what I like to convey is that even if, let's say someone's motivation for cutting were purely attention-based, that person still feels the need to go to that extreme to get that attention, to get someone to pay attention to what's going on with them. And so there is no kind of level of who deserves to be a self-harmer and who doesn't. And really we have to approach it in a very supportive way, which is difficult because you see someone you love who's hurting themselves, whether it's severely or not, and you immediately want to stop it. My experience has been that a lot of times that comes out in anger. Um, people tend to react, which then just makes the person who is self-harming feel feel guilty and kind of wonder why they opened up about it or or regret that they, you know, let it let it slip or that they got caught. Most of us are already feeling very guilty and ashamed. Most of us are very aware that it is a very unhealthy coping strategy. And so dealing with it and helping prevent it is really all about finding the supports that are needed to help kind of cope with the, the symptom. Self-harm is a symptom. So, you know, talking, talking about it openly, um, asking about kind of what, what feelings are driving it, putting in, in some professional support. So, you know, getting an outside person involved, like a therapist, um, occasionally, you know, someone tells you, you should go see a therapist and you're very resistant to that. Um, but just being, you know, providing the supports in, in place and, dealing less with the self-harm directly. So dealing less with, okay, I need you to tell me next time you feel like you're going to do it and more about what can I do to help you get through this. Um, I would say most people are pretty aware of what's causing them to self-harm. And I think that that it's, is a little bit more important to address than the self-harm itself, at least initially. Yeah, I think there's two things from what you said that came to come to my mind. One is that cutting is a symptom. It's not the cause. And so we really need to, like you said, focus on what is the problem, the actual core problem that is causing the person to cut. And two, you were saying that the people who are cutting self know they shouldn't be doing this. And so how we respond probably has a direct impact on how they're feeling because I can just imagine if as a parent and I go into like oh my god what are you doing and getting all shocked that's gonna even be more detrimental to my child so in that case how do you think a loved one should be responding when they find out that someone they love is cutting I mean really sitting down and saying you know hey I'm here for you um and also acknowledging that sometimes we don't want to talk about it, but it means a lot to know that someone is there and not judging what we're doing. So having someone say, hey, I'm here for you if you want to talk about this. If you don't want to talk to me, if you're, you know, you want to talk to a therapist, I can get that for you. Um, if you want to talk to, you know, your friends or even, even having just resources. So if you want to, um, there are 
you know, hotlines that you can call um, that are completely anonymous. And sometimes that feels a little bit safer than speaking to someone who is face to face can sometimes be a little bit intimidating, but really just reassuring us that you're there um, and you're here for what we're going through and you're not disappointed. You're not angry, you, but you want to help. You want to be there and help us get through this and provide the support that we need to get through it is really the biggest thing that any parent can do. I think that sometimes as parents, that's all we want is to support you and to not have you go through any pain. Really, I don't want my children to go through any pain, but I know that's kind of part of life. And I think that's great. What you were saying is just be there and say, I'm here for you. And uh, let the professional do what they need to do. Because I know I, I wouldn't want to be the one trying to help my children stop. Right. Now, this might be a question that sounds stupid, but I'm sure people are like, just stop. Like, you're cutting. Just Or like, you know, they say this to anorexia, nervosa people. They say, just start eating. Like, it's just so easy. Why can't someone that's a self-harmer or cutter just stop doing it when they know that it's not safe or healthy? It's sort of like, not to use a silly example, but it's it's very similar to when you have a dog. And most of us, we have a, if we have a dog, uh, we take a treat and we ask it to sit before we give it the treat. And so the dog drops into this behavior pattern where every time we whip out a treat, it sits because it knows that that's how it, how it has earned its right to the behavior. And it's a reinforcing behavior. And self-harm is weird as it is to say is very reinforcing because again you're looking at something that's helping you relieve all of this that you have built up inside of you so it's it's getting out all of these emotions that you don't know how to otherwise express and it's also bringing you back down from a state of let's say you're you know you're you something upset you so now you're out of you've gone from 0 to 60 you're upset you don't know how to handle it and then the cutting brings you back down and all of a sudden you're back at ground zero again and you can just breathe and relax and you've let it all out. And unfortunately, very reinforcing. And as a result, it's a very addictive behavior. And so it's not easy to just sit there and just stop. I mean, even when you, if you haven't done it for a while, there are you know, you experience irritability, you experience all of these emotions that cutting helped you deal with, you're now experiencing. And because cutting was your coping mechanism, now your coping mechanism is gone. And so you're just stuck with all this pent up emotion again. And so it's one of those things where if you don't have other coping mechanisms in place to help support you through that, you're bound to kind of end up cutting again, you're bound to, you know, go back to, to doing it because it works and because it's almost consumed your thought process in some ways too, because it was such an effective coping mechanism, even though you know it's an unhealthy coping mechanism, it was effective. It helped you in that moment and relieve you of everything. And so it's not easy to just, to just stop it without other supports in place. Now, in my mind, hopefully you can clear this, you know, if I cut myself it hurts, like physically, it hurts. So I can't imagine cutting once, two, three times and having that physical pain. So wouldn't that physical pain add to more pain that I'm already feeling emotionally and mentally? Or does that actually, that physical pain, kind of like counteract and balance out the emotional and mental pain that I'm going through that it makes me feel better? It really counteracts it in a way that I think people who 
aren't doing it don't always understand because exactly it is one of those things where yeah you know if you accidentally cut yourself you know chopping up carrots I don't know for a salad or something yeah it hurts but it's more about being in control I think you're in control of this pain um and and different people go to different levels with it so you know it's you're you're totally controlling how much pain you're inflicting on yourself for one and for another because you're inflicting this pain on yourself all of your focus is on that it's not on what may be causing you to do it in the first place, but now you're totally zoned in on this act that you're you're committing on yourself. And, and then on, in addition to that, because again, your body does release all of those, those chemicals to counteract it, there's almost a state of numbness that comes after the initial pain. So there's pain and you feel it and you experience it. But once you get through that initial pain, it, it, there's a sense of and I don't know if numbness is even the right word. It's just quiet. It's almost peaceful. And I, I hate saying that because I don't want to sit here and say, oh, this is a fantastic coping mechanism. But it, it is unfortunately what makes it so addicting for so many people is that it's just this, because everything in your body says this shouldn't be happening. And so your body is releasing all these chemicals and all these hormones to counteract the fact that it's happening. And so there's an initial pain and it hurts and there's pain afterwards. And the pain afterwards, I would say is very much like the pain you experience when, when you've accidentally gotten hurt. Um, it's not pleasant and it's certainly not a distractor at that point either, but in the actual moment, it's a distraction. And that I think is, is why it's, it's not so much about pain building on top of pain, but it's just about pain distracting from underlying pain. You had mentioned some alternative ways. So what are alternative ways that we can help our children with self-harm in the cutting? It's all very individual. There are people that tend to cut more when they're angry or people that tend to cut more when they're sad. Certain coping mechanisms for me, it helps very much to outlet my emotions physically. So cutting was an easy thing for me to fall into. But nowadays I try to channel that into going to the gym, going for a run, lifting weights, still causing, you know, some, <laughs> some pain, but it's productive pain. It's good for right. muscle building, losing weight, all of that feel good. But you know, there are other people that it really helps to just write everything out. And that, that often helps for me as well. If I'm overwhelmed, just writing it all out in a journal helps talking to friends talking to friends, not necessarily about the cutting or the desire to cut, but about the emotions that are happening, um, that are leading to those feelings and kind of talking it out with somebody. And, and there are other alternatives too, if, you know, for people that are just new to working on kind of working through their emotions and working on getting over the cutting, you know, there's, you can hold ice cubes in your hand as one, um, snapping rubber bands on your wrists is another ways that still, cause a little bit of pain, but maybe are less damaging than, than cutting or some of the other more severe forms of self-harm that can just help replicate the sensation uh, without causing the damage and, you know, help you as more kind of just as a coping mechanism to lean on while you're working through the underlying feelings. So there are different alternatives depending on kind of where you're coming from and what is underlying the urge to cut. You said earlier that you know what you were doing was not healthy and was harming you. What made you get help or did somebody find out that you were cutting and, and got the help for you? Combination of both. I think that initially my mom found out, which honestly just 
I mean, she was, she was very good. She was super, super supportive, got me to, to seeing somebody. The fit was not perfect. So I was on a wait list. Another therapist, and that's, you know, another thing to just throw out there is if your therapist is not doing it for you, you are within complete right to switch and say, Hey, this person and I just don't click. But I was on the wait list to see someone else. And it, it I had become more secretive about it. I think what prompted me to really start finding help was just the fact that I had people surrounding me who I had either opened up to about it or who had found out about it, who were supporting me. It wasn't so much that these people were saying, Hey, you need help. It was that these people were saying, Hey, we love you. And we want to be here for you and help you through this difficult time that you're having. And I think that that was, was really valuable because even if I didn't believe I was worthy of help, and even if I was struggling with my own feelings, and even if I wasn't sure I wanted the help, eventually, you know, just having that warm supportive circle made me feel like I could do it. It it became less of a, instead of looking at it as a mountain, it became a little bit more of a, of a molehill because I had this support system around me willing to love me, whether I failed, whether I went six months and then cut again, or whether I never, ever cut again, regardless of what I did or didn't do, these people were here just to support me as me. And I think that was the biggest factor in driving me to seek help was realizing that I was surrounded by this love and support. It's interesting that you say that because I'm sure you were surrounded by people all the time, but you probably didn't feel that connection, that support, because whenever there are other Teen to Parent Talk series, he talks about depression and how he was always around people, but he always felt alone. Mm -hmm. Before your mom found out, you felt like you didn't have that support, and afterwards you did, but I'm sure it was all there. In your mind, you probably didn't feel it, though. Right, exactly. A lot of times when you're dealing with something like self-harm, you are dealing with anxiety, you are dealing with depression, and the best way I can think to describe it is it's just like having a shadow, like, you know, Eeyore from, from Winnie the Pooh, you know, he kind of always walked around with this perpetual rain cloud and he was surrounded by everyone who loved him, but it didn't matter because he had this little storm cloud above his head. And it's very much similar to that. And it takes time for that to, to get through. It, it really does. So how can we increase awareness and decrease this stigma surrounding self-harm and cutting? So I think the best way is to stop. I mean, there are a lot of jokes and a lot of people who joke about, you know, the labels like emo and scene. And I don't know, I remember in high school, one kid made this joke about how he said he wished his grass was emo so it would cut itself. And things like that seem really benign. And they seem like stupid things that you say um, when you're, you know, 15 years old. And I was upset. And I, I talked to his mom about it, and she didn't see the issue. And it's one of those things where, okay, we're going to make those jokes at 15, because we're 15. But really open up a conversation or having a conversation about why it's not appropriate. And yeah, at 15, we're going to roll our eyes. We're going to, oh my God, you took that way too seriously, but it does sink in. It does come through. So the way we talk about it just in our culture, we tend to make light of it. I think that also just being more open in general about conversations about it. So talking about why human behavior and why people make the choices they do. So as opposed to saying, let's say someone is really isolated at school, you know, you hear your kids talking, okay, this person's really weird. 
having conversations about maybe, you know, hey, what are some things that can contribute to someone feeling socially isolated? Just talking about it, having conversations about it. And I think also just being aware of your own judgments. One of the things that I frequently struggle with is wearing shorts because I've got scars. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's really hard because there are people who comment. There are people who comment behind your back, whether they think I can't hear them or not, I don't know. But there are people also that just stare. And I think, yes, we're a little bit programmed socially or otherwise to notice differences in people, to notice when someone is maybe not the appearance of what a normal person, quote unquote, normal person looks like, but catching ourselves in that situation too. So if you, you know, someone does notice someone with scars, you don't have to have a conversation about it. Certainly don't need to talk about it behind their back. And there's really no reason to stare and being aware within ourselves as well of our behavior and how our behavior might be affecting somebody else. That's a really good point. We've talked a lot about what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Let's just break it down in the list. Like what are things that we should not do as parents? As parents, number one thing not to do. Don't get angry. Okay. Take a moment to breathe. I mean, it's hard. So take a moment to breathe. Whatever you have to do, don't get angry. Two, be very careful about taking away freedoms, open door policies, uh, searches, and inter- body searches. Um, these are all things that people who have cut have had to go through. And the violation of the privacy well done with good intentions often tends to backfire. And I, I really think that those are kind of the two main things of what not to do. Just don't get angry and don't blow it out of proportion, which sounds, it sounds odd to say, but take it for what it is as a coping mechanism. So it is the same thing as someone going to the gym because they had a horrible day at work. It's just an unhealthier version of that. So don't treat it like something bigger and more catastrophic than what it is, which is a symptom of something bigger. And probably don't blame and deny what's going on and blame yourself or blame someone else, I would think. Yes, that too. It could be very difficult to not feel guilty. I'm sure my mom felt horrible, probably asked herself many questions about what she could have done to stop it. None of it ever had to do with her. Um, And so I think, yeah, don't blame your teen, don't blame yourself, um, and certainly don't minimize either. So don't say, you know, particularly, let's say someone is is cutting start, like I started cutting because of a, a lost relationship that I had had, and it was the first significant loss. The wrong way to handle that is to say, you'll get over it. It was just one person why are you cutting yourself over that? Hey, I hated when my parents said that. So I can just imagine how much you guys even hated more. <laughs> yes, yes. And and we'll learn. I mean, we all grow up and we all learn that, hey, loss is part of life. But the first loss you ever, it's a big loss. So, yes. you know, and, and the first time you experience any kind of depression as it, you know, it doesn't matter to us that our parents maybe went through it and got through it to some degree or another. And it's still a unique and new and big feeling for a lot of us. And so, yes, don't minimize it. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the list of what we should do, which is even more important. Yeah, so support, 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 and genuine support too. So not constantly standing at the door to tell us how much you love us. Um, But (laughs) being there to occasionally remind us, even even if we roll our eyes, even if we try to push you away, just reminding us that you're there setting up the proper supports for us to making, finding access to mental health channels. So to doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, kind of whatever level works 
for you and your household, but also communicating that with your teen. So saying, hey, do you think that this would help you? Do you think seeing someone would help you? Um, And having that professional support in place and being willing to provide that. Also, again, being willing to respect that this is a process. So it's not something that just ends overnight. You don't just get wake up and get over it and hurrah, we're cured. Um, It is a process. There are going to be hiccups. There are going to be points, even if we don't, let's say, like I said, we don't do it for six months. If we do it, it doesn't mean we failed. It's just a road bump in the process that we're going through to kind of recover from situation. So treat it as a process. Yeah. And you sent me a few resource material links and that's in the show notes listener. That is probably very helpful if you're interested in getting more information about all of the self-harm and cutting that we're talking about. Yeah. Those resources, they're pretty good. A couple of them are a comprehensive list of alternatives. So there's quite a few listings of not just going to the gym, holding ice cubes or riding, but they've got hundreds of options, alternatives um, that you can work through, you know, one, all of them, a few of them, whatever helps really. And then there's also wanted to include a link to a suicide hotline as well, just in case the feelings are happening together. So someone who is cutting may be experiencing suicidal feelings. Those hotlines are completely anonymous. They've got someone around the clock to talk to you. And again, listen to what you're going through on an anonymous level, which can be really helpful. Yes, absolutely. So we have a couple of minutes left. And I want to just reiterate again, that remember, please, that cutting is a behavioral sign of a deeper underlining problem. So the goal should not to be just to get your child to stop cutting, but to really treat the deeper problem so that they can develop more mature coping skills and no longer feel the need to self-injure. Janie, I want to thank you and show you my deepest appreciation for coming on the show and giving us some insight from your perspective about what you went through as well as how you overcame and what we can do as parents to get more knowledge about this. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. And if you're interested in Janae is doing with dogs and her life, you can go to her website at boisedogsports.com. It's in the show note, or you can email her if you have any questions or comments at boisedogsports at gmail.com. Until next week, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.